0: Welcome to TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about the week's technology news. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com teh25. We have three hosts this week. I'm Randy Cassingham, founder of thisistrue.com, the oldest entertainment newsletter on the internet, and spamprimmer.com.
1: I'm Leo Notenboom, the Leo in AskLeo.com, helping you use technology with more confidence.
2: And I'm Gary Rosenzweig, the host and producer of Macmos.com, where I post daily Mac, iPhone, and iPad tutorials. I also make mobile games. You can find those at CleverMedia.com. So what do we do this week?
0: I've been uh, posting pictures for my wife. she I, I've mentioned in a couple of previous episodes that she's walking the Camino and today, this very day, she finished, she's in uh, Santiago, Spain as as we speak. Yay. Um, it's nighttime there, so she's sleeping, but 500 mile walk and she's been taking pictures all along and when she gets to a good Wi-Fi hotspot, all of her pictures come up on Dropbox and I've been posting them on a special page for her friends to see. And Leo, you asked me, uh, I think it was last week, how much data that was. Sure. And I said, oh, I think it's gigabytes. Mm -hmm. Well, I looked it up. We're getting close to 20 gigabytes of pictures and videos. That's pretty
1: impressive. Yeah. Yeah. And how many weeks has this been now?
0: Uh, About five so far. And she's got a not quite a week to go. Right. All right. Cause she's going to do a little bit of sightseeing if she can stand being on her feet.
1: Well, I was going to ask about that cause I, I know, you know, I've been paying attention to the pictures as you've been posting them. And there've been a couple of instances where she's, you know, mentioned her feet had an issue or two, but she seemed to take care of them pretty quick Are her, I mean, are her feet <laughs> holding up uh, remarkably well. I think they were really
0: killing her, you know, after the first week uh-huh. uh, until she beat them into submission, basically uh her walking partner had an interesting thing she was having shin splints on one leg not both of them and she finally went to a clinic saying you know'm I'm, I'm not going to be able to walk much anymore uh, what can you do for me she was thinking she'd have to give up right and she had you know gone like two-thirds of the way so that'd be a real shame right and the doctor said oh well there's this thing we can do and and this woman isn't registered nurse. She's a um, neonatal nurse in Texas. Mm -hmm. So she was, uh, you know, pretty well clued into the the medical aspects of it. And basically what they did was use acupuncture needles to stick them in various spots in her shin as they massaged out the bad spots. And she said it was excruciating, but the next day she could walk.
1: Wow. Very interesting. When, when you think about it, given I, I think that there are way more people doing this walk than I had ever envisioned. Yeah. But what's interesting then is that there's this opportunity for um, foot care specialists of various sorts to be present along the way. So that's kind of cool. You know,
0: you know, the doctors along the way just have seen every walking related problem. Yeah. Yeah. But during the peak times, uh, I'm not sure exactly when that is. I don't know if that's summer or what. About 1,000 people a day start the Camino.
2: Wow. Wow! How many uh, steps has she been keeping track of her steps?
0: She has. Uh, she's been doing about 17-plus miles a day, which is like 45, 49,000 steps a day.
2: Okay. So it's 45,000 steps times how many days?
0: Like 34, I think it took her.
2: 30? So 1.5 million steps.
0: <laughs> and you know, some days more, some days less. But yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. So she's done for the year. She could just, <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And,
2: I I, I yeah. told her you know,
0: can you send me you know five thousand steps? I need to you know round up my like yeah. hat today.
1: No kidding! Wow, that's pretty impressive, and it's it's pretty awesome that she actually uh made it today. So send along congratulations on our behalf for sure.
0: Will do. Cool. So Leah, what have you been doing?
1: Oh, gosh. Not, you know, I've had a, such a boring week. I mean, it's basically been the same stuff. The the most exciting thing, I guess, would be today I ended up taking someone to the airport, and it's a situation where um, because she's traveling with a couple of dogs, Gorgies, of course, of course. The um, I ended up staying at the airport until she was actually up in the air just in case there was a reason to go back and get the dog or something, but there wasn't. Um, and now, of course, we've been trace, tracking her throughout the, uh, the afternoon, making sure she's getting to her destination. And uh, it just dawned on me how cool it is to just sort of, I think it's flight aware that I'm using, um, and it's actually showing me her specific aircraft in Real-time, you know, plus or minus 5 or 10 seconds, which is actually pretty darn real-time. pretty as
0: much real-time, yeah.
1: Um, you know, complete with altitude and airspeed and heading and all that kind of stuff. It's just amazing that, that we can do that kind of stuff. So that's been actually kind of, you know, very reassuring. And, of course, throughout the... Uh, um, you know getting onto the plane and so forth we're texting back and forth and just sort of staying in contact and the moment she landed, you know we got a message from her so it 's very cool, very cool the kind of stuff that 's going on, but literally I mean just you know taking someone to the airport apparently is the highlight of my week, so that just sort of tells you what uh, what i've been up to. How about you, Gary?
2: Oh, you know uh, just just working. I did launch my uh, game that i 've been alluding to it 's called windward and uh I guess we could include a link to that. And it's, I have a uh, hard
1: time hearing you say that, and the reason
2: yeah.
1: is because I hear it without the D. Wind word yeah, wind yeah, word is what I hear too. Wind, well, and it's not I'm, – I'm, I, I, I should say that my ears hear wind word with a D. Yeah. My mind hears windward because yeah. for 30 years, that's what Windows Word was called. And, in fact, if you take a look oh. on the file – um, the actual executable, at least and on PCs, it's WinWord.exe.
2: Interesting. Well, of course I took it from wind ward, you know, over pronouncing that a there. Right. And just switched the a out with an O because in the game you, um, you're sailing. And I think, I, I think I talked about this last week a little bit and you're sailing around to trade goods and stuff. And you're using the letters to spell out words. And, uh, it was my experimentation with that that made me think of sailing um because sometimes you have to tack <laughs> tack through the letters in order to sail forward um so anyway uh so i launched that game and i'm just been working on my next one um just been really rolling out lots of games this year i think last year was the year of uh i did lots of courses for mac most i've mm-hmm. courses up udemy and uh and then kind of I finished up uh my last course in December and then January I started working on games and it looks like uh 2018 is going to be a year of game development for me.
1: Cool. So,
2: yeah, I'm pretty happy when I'm developing games. So, so. Can you
1: give us a hint on what the uh the,
2: the next one game is, yeah? The next one will be a solitaire type game as in card solitaire. Oh, cool. Um but with a twist to it. Of course. Of course, goal, a goal in mind because I have I have a solitaire game with no twist. <laughs> you just play solitaire. solitaire. Right. And I actually built a game a while back that had a, like it was a a map and you had to actually uh, you know, uh, find treasures on the map by playing solitaire. Um, but unfortunately that wasn't much of a success. Solitaire world was what that was called. But uh, this one is a little different. It's a little more just focused on just playing, but you're you're kind of advancing a goal as you play. So yeah, I'll tell you more about it once it's once it's done. Shouldn't be long.
1: Cool. Sounds
0: good.
2: Yeah. So, what stories do we have going on this week? I, I I assume there's some breaches. Of course, there's <laughs> always yeah. breaches.
0: Kevin's not here, so I'll do it.
1: Like, breach of the week. Oh, okay, we can
2: <laughs> another octave in there.
1: Oh, that's pretty funny. So the um, um, the the biggie uh, that I that I stumbled across uh, last week. Was this uh, tech firm called Location Smart leaking of all things location data? <laughs> That's uh, not smart. Involved with almost all of the uh, mobile carriers, at least here in the U.S., and uh, they were actually leaking the real-time position of almost all cell phone users, which is these days just about everybody. Um, and I say leaking in the sense that it was available, whether or not anybody was actually using it is unclear. The article is, uh, is out on Krebs on security, which as a side note is probably one of the most respected security sites for, for internet PC related security issues. If you're into that kind of stuff at all, that's, uh, Brian krebs is absolutely worth uh, worth following anyway um he uh, he points out that you know uh, let's see to quote has been leaking this information to anyone via a buggy component on its website without the need for any password or other form of authentication or authorization so this isn't a break in uh, this is just uh, bad security up front which is kind of scary um, how often now, and i want to uh, I want to say that I I read it a slightly different
0: way than what you just described. Mm -hmm. And what you described was what they were tracking all cell phones. And the way I read it was that any user could go in there and say, I have a phone number. Where is it? So it wasn't that they had everybody's data and, you know, okay, where's Leo? It was, if I had Leo's phone number, I could find out where it was.
1: Okay, um, the yeah, okay, I'm, I'm not sure you may, you may very well be right. I read it as you know just the location data being leaked, but that just could be the loose, um, loose wording to get more people uh, um, in on it. Nonetheless, either way, um, it's
0: well, they were leaking location data. It's just that you had to specifically ask for specific users.
1: Right, right? So, and again, um, like I was saying, this is one of those cases where it's not a case of somebody, you know, explicitly trying to hack in or do something or take advantage of, of you know, like an operating system or software vulnerability. No, this was just an oversight. This was, um, to put it bluntly, stupidity, uh, security that should have been in place that wasn't in place. Yeah. And
0: then just some user tripped over it because he was looking at it and realized, hey, I could do this in a different way yep. And, yep. Uh, and get information. Yep. And if, to their credit, I, I kind of like that when he notified the company, hey, I can do this. They didn't say, oh, no, you can't. We're very secure. They said, we'll take a look at that.
1: So one good for of, them. One of the most important differentiators when it comes to these kinds of security events um, is, in fact, the response. I mean. Absolutely. Security's hard. It just is. It's one of those things where I think I've mentioned it before that unless you're really baking it in from the beginning, it's typically an afterthought, which means that you're much more likely to um, not have covered all your bases. It's unfortunate that it is the way it is. If you don't have security professionals on staff, um, it's very easy not to even understand or think about all the different aspects that are required to keep something secure. And just how much staffing you need, of course, should be probably proportional to exactly how sensitive the data you're dealing with is. In this case, location data, probably pretty sensitive. But um, the like I say, stuff happens. I, I understand that stuff happens. It's the scenarios where uh, companies are notified and they ignore it, or companies are notified and they've got the, um, the best practice, what is it, 90 days of, of a responsible disclosure, right, where somebody comes to them, gives them a vulnerability and say, okay, we're starting the 90-day clock, you've got 90 days to fix it. Um, and 90 days later, nothing has happened. That's just, just, that's honestly inexcusable for a lot of the scenarios where that's happened. And that happens with some of the really big companies like the Microsofts and the Googles of the world. So yes, it is very nice to see a company take a, res- a report like this responsibly um, and act on it quickly.
0: Yeah, they, they took the feature offline while they uh, take yep. a look at it. So yep. good for them. Right thing to do. Um the other this, one which brings one. us to another one cuz I actually sp- spotted this one too and I was going to uh, put it on the uh, on the lineup and the you task who uh
1: who who founded this oh, one. I
2: yeah I put it up there it, you, but Leo you predicted this would happen not this particular company in this particular instance but it looks like this is one of those Amazon web services buckets that was exactly. Yep. Yep. Locked.
1: That's exactly what wow. it sounds like. Although they, they did not, from what I've seen in this article, which again is it's in MacRumors.com. We'll use we'll have a link on the show notes. Of course. Yeah. Um, it's the company called Teensafe, which apparently I uh, was not particularly safe. <laughs> they um, leaked uh, quote, tens of thousands of login credentials, including the Apple IDs of children which is just wrong on many, many levels. And it looks like they just had, again, a lack of security. Not a, it's not a hack. It's not a breach in the sense of somebody actively going in and breaking something. This is a case where they just sort of put it out there for anybody to see and hoped that nobody would. They probably didn't realize that that's what they were doing, which is really the oversight.
2: Right. Um, and yeah, but It was stored the,
0: the, without passwords and all that. And just ironically, both of these had to do with locations of people. Yeah. tracking their phones. Well, yeah, yeah or
2: well, actually just, I mean, if you have an, an Apple ID password, it's everything. Yeah, true, that's what I was going to ask you, Gary. I mean, I, yeah. I've noticed
1: in, in my use of the Mac that, that the Apple ID is like the key to absolutely everything.
2: Sure, sure, and of course you should, you know, keep it secure as your most value, one of your most valuable IDs, as you actually should do with any email account. Right. Because the problem with email accounts is that you could have amazing passwords everywhere, but um, if somebody breaks into your email account, they could just go onto all these services and say, oops, I lost my password. And then they could get that from your, you know, reading your email. But the problem with this, so, you know, being like a Mac expert guy, I, you know, heard about all these services that allow you to track your kids, what your kids are doing on their their iPhones. Mm -hmm. And in the uh, Apple world, it's very secure, and there's really no good way to do it. So the way they get around that, the, there's a sev- there are several companies. The way they get around it is you basically can back up all of your stuff. You actually should be, by default, backing up all of your stuff to iCloud. So all the stuff in your phone, your text messages, your you know, emails, your settings, look everything is being backed up. So the backup contains all of this data. So what they do is basically you sign up for one of these services and you have to give them the child's Apple ID and password. And their service logs in as if they're an Apple device and pulls that backup and then take, takes the backup, which then they can un- you know decrypt because they've got that password. And I, you know there's several different options for that. And I, I think you have to have it set in a certain way. And they could basically go through that backup file and pick out the different things and reconstruct your messages and your emails and your different data for different apps, things like that. So that's how they get around it. And it's, it's dangerous because of, of this kind of thing. Um, you know, you basic, you can't just go and say, Oh, I want to sign up for a service and just see what my teen is texting. No, it's you give them access. Then they're going to have access everything, to th- everything. Yep. Um, yep. But then desperate parents will, you know, say, I, I don't care about that. I just, I want, I need to know. Um, well, and here's one of the other
1: risks whenever you're using third party services like this, um, you know, you do all the right things security. And even if you use, if you personally use a service like this safely and securely, you've got a, like a strong password for your login to this mm-hmm. this service. They're storing your Apple ID and password. Well, guess what? Quote, Plain text passwords for the children's Apple ID were also among the data set, despite claims on the company's website that it uses encryption to protect customer data. So this is something we've also talked about before. One of the huge, huge no-nos when it comes to security is you don't store plain text passwords. Now they had, they, they had to have the actual password, unlike in most login scenarios, which can do things based on hashes, but they should have encrypted them somehow.
2: And they didn't. Yep. Big mistake.
0: Not only did they not encrypt them, but they were available in plain text to anybody that knew where to look.
1: Yep. Yep. So, yeah. So those are examples again who knows what next week will turn up.
0: So if you use TeenSafe, change your I- Apple ID password right now.
1: Actually change all of your children's Apple ID passwords, yeah. which is a problem because if the kids don't necessarily know that you're tracking them, all of a sudden you have to come up with a reason for them to change their password.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's not too, which is not too hard. You can you could figure something out if they haven't figured out that you're tracking them at this point. You could probably tell them some excuse of I don't know that uh, they got a notification that their phone might be vulnerable and they need to change it. Or yeah, whatever. yeah,
1: I don't know, but yes, it's it's not yeah. just you; it's it's everybody you're tracking. Everybody's Apple ID and password that you happen to give this service needs to be <laughs> changed. It needs to be changed now. And on top of that, you know what? At this point, I'd say it's probably time to find a different service. Yeah, oh, absolutely.
2: Yeah, that's true. Or actually, the, so the way I I've told people in the past to do it, or a clever way that you don't need to use a service, is if you have happen to have a Mac in your house, your Mac, your laptop, your iMac, whatever it is, create a different user account with for the child that they don't know about. Log in on that user account to their Apple ID, and set up Messages, and it mirrors all of their text, at least the ones that are iMessage, but also should be the SMS ones for the most part. And then every once in a while, you could log on to that account on your Mac and, you know, it's the Mac just thinks you're them and it will be like, oh, here's, you know, your up-to-date messages and things. Will it um, synchronize other things like photos and such? It it will. the The only, one of the problems is, of course, you get read notifications. So if they're suspicious, they might notice that every once in a while they wake up in the morning and they got a bunch of text messages overnight that are now read before they actually read them. You, know, <laughs> if you, if you look at them, but uh, but it's a pretty common technique um, to use and it doesn't cost anything. If you've already got a Mac, of course the the other thing is that, you know, I figure if, if the child's got a phone and you're paying for it, which of course would have to be um, then uh, it should just be an agreement between you and that child that you have their passwords and, you have access to their to their phone and right. uh, when they're when they 're adults and grown up, then they can keep all the secrets they want from you, but <laughs> not, uh, not while they 're a child and using basically what is your phone and your uh, mobile carrier account and all that so anyway, different parenting styles are different people though yes and
1: and while I get questions from parents about that, I have to say. Not my area of expertise. Talk to me about dog behavior, and we can dis- we can discuss.
2: <laughs> of course, <laughs> and, and a big problem a lot of people have is uh, even their teens can, in some families, are the most tech savvy yep. family member. Yep. That's... And then you've got a problem because how do you, you know, when they're they know more than you, then how do you? Figure all this stuff out so. and that
1: is something I try to remind people of when they come to me you know asking for exactly this kind of stuff i don't have any current recommendations for the equivalent on pcs but I do tell them that you know um, what you said if you've got if if you're paying for it, you you all know right. ha- should set up some quote unquote rights, but the other side of it is you know whatever you think you're going to put in place, if your kid is savvy enough and chances are he is then um, it 's just going to be a you know a speed bump, but not a block so
2: right and and always re- always remember that you, you can 't have total control they, they will talk kids will talk to each other in person they will well, we were <laughs> no well, we, we were growing up, we passed notes in class, right and there was no password to be able to go in and find out what notes are being passed to and from your child in class it 's uh,
1: i see I have that often for um, uh, parents who want to block what their kids see on the internet. I said, fine, you know, yeah, you can do that. Here's some ideas and here's some ways. But if they go to their neighbors, you know, they're going to see whatever is going to happen over there. So it's almost impossible to to solve that problem.
0: I I think the bottom line is that Apple really should have some of these functions for parents. I mean, I use Android phones, and I not only can see where my wife is at all times, almost real time, but I – share my location back and forth with several of my friends.
2: Yeah. And you can't, you definitely can do that. And you have a set of parental controls. Um, But uh, yeah, there's no, I guess they, they, they didn't want to build a back door into it, but more importantly, they didn't want to build a third party back door.
0: Oh yeah. And I, I agree with that completely. So
2: that's, that's, you know, when these services try to, you know, do their thing, there's no way for them to get access to that. That information. Um, but the, you know, the Apple stuff itself, there's a, there's a set of parental controls, pretty complex set of parental controls. And
0: can you do things like track where your kid is without having oh, to?
2: Yeah. Okay. I mean, they, uh, once they get savvy enough and they know how to turn it off, sure. uh, they can, but then of course you, you could still take their phone away. <laughs> so, you know, eventually, you have, yeah, you have, you know, the nuclear option, um, but you can insist, uh, that, uh, that that function is on. Um, and uh, and then there's all sorts of content functions, and you can lock those content functions as well. So, um, you know, you could put a – there's a secondary password. So you can say, here's what they can and can't do on their phone, and then lock that, and they they won't be able to change that without a pass,
0: password. Well, I wonder how many parents don't know that as it is.
2: Yeah, maybe some, but I think a lot do. Um, but it is, it is like in the content blocking stuff is that's uh, that's tough because like Leo said, they could just, you know, there was that Black Mirror episode. You guys see that about that? Uh, you know, like a lot of their episodes, there was a chip implant and um, where the mother could monitor the daughter's, uh, you know, whereabouts and she was able to turn off uh, you know, do a content blocker on the actual like vision on, on the child's vision. (laughs) And, uh, and she did it when the child was little because the child was scared of a dog that she had to walk by. So she turned it on for violence or whatever, so that she wouldn't see this dog and she'd be able to walk by it. But then as she got older, she left it on and, uh, and then she couldn't see anything that was, Violent or you know anything that wasn't PG, basically, she just couldn't even see with her own eyes. It would just be blurred out. Uh, that was, a, I think, that was the episode directed by Jodie Foster. Actually,
0: mm, I didn't see eyes. that one.
2: Yeah. So anyway, what else we got?
1: Well, Randy, you're talking about some something interesting coming up. Yeah, this kind of
0: slides right into it. Uh, Google has been encouraging all websites to go secure HTTPS. So, you need a security certificate, which very appropriately or very handy for website owners you can pretty much get those for free now and Google has been really encouraging so much so that you you actually rank better in the Google rankings if you're a secure site so I think this is going a little bit too far. Google is going to remove the secure indicator from pages on their Chrome browser in September because they say users should expect the web to be safe by default. Huh? And then, and actually before they do that in September, in July, they're going to start marking sites as not secure.
1: That's the part that bothers me the most actually is that um, perfectly legitimate sites that have no need, need. Reason, expectation, or desire to do HTTPS will suddenly start getting flagged as not being secure,
0: which will worry people and alarm Ab- people.
2: Absolutely,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, for no reason, really. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, I've got a problem with one of my sites that happens to be on a different, uh, different. ISP, one of the ones that really hasn't gotten up to speed on this, just making everything HTTPS. Um, and uh, I'm probably going to have to move it here the next month or two to my regular server just because I can easily make that HTTPS. And there's no reason for it. There's no place on this site where you sign up for anything, fill out any, you know, uh, you know account No forms or anything, or anything like there's that. nothing. It's basically just, you know, kind of a flagship site that links to different apps and things like that. But I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to need to do it it, just to avoid people saying, you know, not secure, you know, my, uh,
1: um, the sites on my server, A couple of, several of them are explicitly HTTPS and have been for a while, askleo.com being the most notable. You know, I've got a certificate. I went out and spent money for a real certificate for that one. Some of the other sites um, are becoming HTTPS as a side effect of the actual server software being updated and doing that automatically. I think that's part of what you were referring to, Randy. Yeah. Um, I've got, for at least one friend, um, they have a site that we moved from one host to another uh, because for various reasons, so the original host had already done the HTtPS thing, which was actually kind of cool. I mean all of a sudden, uh, you know, the, her search results in Google were all HTtps links when we moved it to the uh, to the new host they didn 't provide that yet they didn 't have the option of just automatic free stuff. So um, I had to figure out how you do the free stuff manually, which is absolutely non-trivial. Um, it's, it's really amazingly complicated, which is why it's nice to have some of the server software do it for you if you can. Um, but I think what I'm going to end up doing with her is uh, we're going to spend a couple bucks a year um, and get one of the cheapest uh, certificates that I could find, I think I found one for ten bucks a year or something like that. You know, so it's like almost free, but um, it's the kind of stuff where, yeah, you know, here's another additional expenditure and another piece of work that um, is being forced on us uh, by Google. Uh, Google has great intentions, but there are definitely some side effects that I I, I can't believe that these are unanticipated consequences. I think that they've just deprioritized these consequences to the point where you know, you'll do it their way or live with what you've got.
0: Well, speaking of unintended consequences, one of the things with Google specifically is that it considers, for instance, HTTP, this is true.com is a different URL than HTTPS, hmm. this is true.com. Right. So theoretically, you're supposed to put in redirects with 301s which means you've you've changed the page name, which could you know could be non-trivial for a lot of people as to how to put in those redirects.
1: Right, um, that's the good news about um, you know uh, publishing platforms like WordPress, where you can make all that happen magically, sort of under the hood. Um, but yes, if you know the, how. Uh, well, in WordPress, it's you know it's a it's a plugin or it's a it's a checkbox somewhere. I mean, it's just not not as big a deal. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those scenarios where yes, you have to discover how to turn it on, but you don't have to learn how to program. You, know, you don't have to learn how to write redirects like we used to have to do. Right. Um, the, uh, um, the other part of it too, is that the pages themselves contain information that says, this is the canonical URL to get to this page. So regardless of how you got to me. This is how you're supposed to reference me. And that's also something that, um, A, has to be done right, and again, in most of the content management systems it is, um, but it's also something that assists with uh, you know, search engines like Google, presumably, doing the right thing and listing the correct URL in their results. Hmm. Yep. So, Gary, you have uh, something yeah, that you've
0: been looking into and kind of studying,
1: li- listening into. Well, in case well may.
2: you know, I, I'm sure everybody knows about the story, right? The Yanni and Laurel story here.
0: Did you say Laurel and Yanni?
2: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and uh, so, let me ask you guys which one are which one are you, Leo?
0: Uh, I believe I was Laurel and Randy. I listened to the one that they speed it up and slow it down and I could hear it change. So I've heard both. It just depends on how fast it was going or the pitch or something like that.
2: Yeah. Okay. So I'm a Yanny listening to this, uh, you know, the unaltered one. Um, but after I, fig- after I learned the science behind it...
0: And why don't you back I, up a little bit and explain for the yeah, three listeners sure. that haven't heard of this. Three.
2: <laughs> so, I mean, this is similar to the, the blue or gold dress from two, three few, years ago. A few years ago, Except yeah. that was a visual thing where some people, depending on how you process information in your eyes, you saw the dress as blue and some people saw it as gold. And, uh, you know, it was basically an optical trick. Um, this is an audio trick. And it's a lot simpler than the visual one. I'm surprised nobody's done this up until now. Um, basically, it's just a sound clip, and it, it plays, and some people hear very clearly the name Laurel spoken, and some people hear very clearly the name Yanni spoken, or I assuming mean, that's a name. Um, and, Which uh, don't
0: sound like they're very close to me. No, you know?
2: no not, not at all. And and then, of course, like the, the blue or gold dress, um, the... You know, people got very upset about. You know, how could you say that Yanny? It's obviously Laurel. What's wrong with you? Or you know, vice versa. Vice versa, and you know, it's basically divides the world up into teams. Um, so the uh, the deal is with this one. The trick is that Laurel is said using lower frequencies, and Yanny is said using higher frequencies. So, if you imagine just taking somebody saying Yanny, and then cutting out all of the low frequencies and just having the high frequencies and you play it back and you're you're missing the bass but it says yanny and then you take the opposite with laurel you take out the high frequencies and you only have the low frequencies and it sounds like laurel now the thing is that people's hearing ranges vary and in general the older you get you lose higher frequency ranges so for instance for a long time they talk about these teen whistles. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that. Absolutely. Like high yeah. pitched, te- high pitch whistles that are used and only teens can hear them. And they're very irritating for teens. And once you're past teenage years, you lose that high frequency range. You know, most people, 90% of people do anyway, and you can't hear them anymore. And they're just totally silent. So you could blow this whistle in a crowd and see all the young people kind of grab their ears. And the older people just swear that there is no sound at all. And it, you know, that, to bother them this is kind of the same thing um and it's so just two sounds superimposed which is why once you know that if your range is good enough that you can at least hear the yanny you, you should be able to as you listen while you hear Yanni clearly kind of hear that laurel really low underneath and they've done things where they've taken out you know the one half and the other so you can hear it and you could tell that the laurel is is pretty low in the anime is pretty high. And that's all it is. It's pretty simple. So like,
0: I haven't actually really looked at this. So somebody yeah. made this on purpose by yeah. by doing that and, well, and laying those two words on
1: top of each other. So
2: I don't that's know where it came from. I I don't this, know if somebody made it or it just happened by accident.
1: Yeah, the story I heard was that it was a uh, um an actual just a recording of uh, a voiceover artist uh reading words for a dictionary.
2: Oh. So it was an and accident.
1: There's, a, uh, there's an original somewhere. Uh, whether that original has been processed to make it do this, I don't know.
0: I think it has to be.
1: It is, it is pretty interesting. The other thing it makes me think of, and I think we talked about this a few weeks ago, was the technique that um, Amazon is using to be able to play um, advertisements without yes. triggering the Amazon Echo. And it's that same kind of thing. They either are adding or removing inaudible audio uh, to what's going out over the, uh, the advertisement that the devices either pay attention to that says, don't pay attention to this, or it's in such a way that they aren't even paying attention to what's being said.
2: And I, I'm pretty sure Apple is doing the same thing now because they have a, uh, there's a commercial, I've seen it several times um, where they, you know, say, Hey, followed by the word Siri, right. um, uh, for something in the commercial. And it does not trigger anything. It doesn't trigger my phone, doesn't trigger my home pod. But if I listen to it and then recreate it just with my voice, just try to speak the same way, uh, all my devices respond. Right. I-, I could re, you know, with the DVR, I could rewind to try again and over and over and, bring my phone closer to the speaker and everything and it will not trigger it. So Apple's got to be doing the same thing.
1: Yeah. It makes sense. It's interesting. hacking hacking the human ear. I like that.
2: Yeah. And I, I've heard people use like even try to explain musical tastes, difference between musical tastes for younger people and older people due to ranges and what's used in music. And there's a lot of interesting, you know, science behind this kind of thing. And, uh, and yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. I'm, I'm surprised that the Yanni Laurel thing happened and it's just this random thing because you'd think if it was some company could have used this for advertising, you know, really put their <laughs> brand name in there.
1: it would got, actually be pretty bizarre if you have an entire ad. I mean, like literally, you know, a 15 or 30 second yeah. spot on the radio where depending on your own audio abilities, your, your ears, two people would hear two completely different advertisements.
2: Yeah. Mm. I, and I also saw somewhere really cool, uh, somebody does like, you know, uh, special things with fonts and characters, draw out a, you know, a, like a scripted, you know, characters Right. And it says both Laurel and Yanny. Yep.
1: Yeah, depending, And once you see them both, you can't unsee them. It's a lot like the, yeah. uh, the duck-rabbit illusion, right, where there's a, there's a picture that is both a duck and a rabbit head, right. depending on how you look at it. Yep, I saw exactly. that, too. I thought that was pretty, pretty inventive.
2: It's very clever. I, I, I like all this stuff. This stuff is fun. And I know during the blue and gold dress thing years ago, uh, a lot of tech people got kind of annoyed by it. But I think anything that uses technology in a fun Way And gets people talking about this kind of thing. And, you know, it's fun. I don't think anybody was seriously on team Yanny or team Laurel or whatever, (laughs) but it's fun to go and you, you know, you just, you just have fun with it. I'm sure a lot of offices, you know, people had lots of fun with this, um, and that's
1: that, that and, there's an educational component to this kind of stuff, too, because, yeah. um, you know, we know a little bit more about how this happens, why this happens. Um, you know, our listeners, presumably, um, will, will have done so. But anybody that's, you know, looking at these analyses of why this happens, uh, they learn a little bit more about audio science, which I think is also pretty cool. Yep.
0: And then there's some philosophical things that you can learn from this, and that is, People can be sure that they saw or heard something mm. that is totally different from what you saw or heard, and it's legitimate. They're not just stupid. They're, they didn't lie. They heard it or saw it differently.
1: Yeah, the snarky comment I made when this whole Laurel Yanni thing started was something to the effect of, and yes, this, and we still accept eyewitness testimony. Right. Um, clearly. Uh, You know, there's, there's been eyewitness testimony has been brought into question, you know, at least on the visual side, multiple times. I think Yeah, this will also be another case of, you know, another, another tool for the lawyers to use to potentially bring audio uh, testimony into, uh, into question.
2: Yeah. There's a great, uh, that great book, uh, The Invisible Gorilla, I think is what it's called. Yeah. Uh, talks a lot about, you know, eyewitness testimony and memory and how. Right. um, I mean, it, there's some fast, it, it uses lots of statistics and uh, some fascinating stuff. I remember they, they did a study, um, on things that everybody should remember exactly what they were doing at the time. Like say nine right. 11, right? Cause everybody has their story. What were you doing? You know, that morning. And what they did is without telling people what they're doing, they took spouses, um, that were together on that morning. And, but they didn't tell them that they were going to, you know, doing a memory test and they just separated them and said, what were you doing that morning? And a lot of those stories differed. You know, they hadn't talked about it in all those years. And one person said, oh yeah, we were at the coffee shop or whatever. Another person said we were home. (laughs) And then it was like, how could that, how could their memories be different? They, they both agreed they were together. But now, but now they have different okay. stories of what actually happens. So what's the truth? You know, uh, memory can play tricks on you and your senses can play tricks on you.
1: The, uh, the title of that book or study, whatever it was, <laughs> the invisible gorilla, for those that don't know about it, it refers to a, uh, a study that was done where they were uh, basically took uh, some, I don't know if they were students or whoever they were testing. And they said, here's a video. And I want you to count the number of times. I think it was basketball teams. You count the number of times something happens. I don't know. If I think it was
0: they pass the ball. Number yeah. of
1: passes, uh, number of dribbles, whatever. So, you know, they're very intent in focusing on this. And they, 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 you know, are counting and paying attention to the basketball players and so forth. And at the end of it all, um, they replay the tape. And an amazingly high number of people, like close to everybody, didn't notice that partway through someone in a gorilla suit walked across the court, uh, which, you know, is so extremely out of context and yet they didn't notice it because their focus was elsewhere. Their focus was on a very specific task. Uh-huh. So that's another case of, of, you know, using, um, our own, uh, you know, what we're paying attention to and our own biases to, uh, to potentially yep. not be able to see all of reality.
2: Yep. Well, speaking of seeing reality, woohoo! <laughs> yeah. uh, what a
1: transition. Yeah, another
2: story <laughs> that I found. interesting. you guys have heard of the company Red? Yep. They're, They're a, a camera
0: company. Yeah, I have they not produced,
2: actually. Yeah. High, they produce high-end cameras. I think they were the first to market with a consumer 4K camera years ago. Like high-end cameras that you know, basically could be used to make films. But, you know, they're incredibly expensive cameras for consumers, but incredibly cheap when compared to what was being used before by, like, film companies and things like that. Anyway, really high-tech cameras and, you know, uh, gadgets and things. They have uh, announced, and they, they showed off to some people, not us, unfortunately, but they showed off to some people. Uh, the, and if they're coming out with a phone. And the thing with the phone, in addition to having all these camera features, which is, like, one of the big things, it also has a holographic screen. So this is technology that is really interesting. You know, Nintendo has, you know, a holographic screen game device. Um, And this is like going to be a phone. And you look at the screen straight on. Uh, Actually, I think in this one, you can actually move a little bit side to side and everything. And there's depth and it also comes out a little bit too. And it's three-dimensional. And they demonstrated, of course, three-dimensional videos playing on it, but also three-dimensional uh, chat because they have a, the camera on. It has two cameras, two sensors, so you could chat with somebody else using the phone, and you're seeing a 3D image of them. They're seeing a 3D image of you. So it's not just processing the video in advance and then playing it back. It's also doing real time, you know, video chat processing the the 3D image in real time, so you can chat with somebody. Um, and it tracks your. I think it's tracking your eyes, your position of your eyes to put the correct image in each one. Um, it's really interesting. And I, I, I see this as a trend, you know, as we get higher resolution screens, uh, we're going to see more of these kinds of devices and, it, you know, it could be something that eventually we see a lot more 3d type screens and these, it doesn't require any kind of glasses. This isn't like wearing 3d glasses. This is you just look at the screen and it's 3d.
1: I think ultimately the glasses are what did 3d TV in. Yeah when they were popular some years ago. Uh, but this sounds like uh, it could be the first step to uh, uh, act, you know, actual reasonable 3D TV in the sense that you wouldn't need glasses. You'd have to scale up and, and probably handle a wider viewing angle. But it sounds pretty interesting. I'm brazing the article while, you're, uh, uh, while you were talking.
2: Yeah, um, and I think a lot of the uh, really useful stuff for 3D screens, even small 3D screens like on phones, will be, you know, after they get past the bells and whistles of, you know, 3D movies and 3D video, mm -hmm. um, and you just go to like a normal interface, you know, you're you're checking your email, but now the buttons and the things, you know, the interface elements on the screen can be 3D, you Mm -hmm. know, and you really get that feedback when you want to press the send button and it depresses under your finger and you know, you've get this, you know, you already have a 3d touch feel on many phones, including the Apple phones. So you can already do just a tap and you could do a, you know, harder press, but to actually get that feedback where you see it, something push in, in 3d, you know, it it really could be interesting if the technology can go far enough. It's, um, a lot of it has to do with resolution, screen resolution. When screen resolution was low, um, the 3D just didn't look very good. It looked blurry and stuff. But now that we've got so much resolution in these little phone screens, um, but these super retina displays, uh, it makes it look a lot more realistic and the 3D effect works a lot better. I still think we're years away, but it certainly could be a direction that um, the gadget makers head in because they got to keep adding new things and making them cooler and all that. I, I could see 3D screens being something that, that we see more of in 5 10 years.
0: Yeah, I think they're going to lose their shirt on this, but I'm glad they're doing it because it's a step toward what we need. I mean, this is not help me Obi-Wan Kenobi or your only hope yes, level no. yet. But it's going to help us get there.
2: Yeah, and Red has uh I mean, I could imagine them basically using this this technology to have viewers, you know, while you're shooting 3D video, you could view the 3D video live, you know, in this Phone maybe being a tie in with that. So they're, you know, probably trying out some of this technology and they're going to use it in different ways. Um, I don't think they're losing a shirt because I don't think they're going to produce that many. You know, I don't think they're going to try to compete with Samsung and, and Apple. Or it is like definitely specialty aimed
0: phone. to a special market. It's a $1,500 phone.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, cool. Always trying to figure out what the next big thing is going to be.
0: And that's going to be one of them, I think.
2: Yep. Yep. Three real three D with no glasses. I, I think we'll eventually get there. I think they have the science for it is broken. It's they've gotten it. It's just high resolution higher resolution screens and um and all that. And we'll start to see those ridiculously high priced devices. Remember when, you know, H D T Vs came out, the first few that came out were ridiculously expensive. And people laughed and said, Nobody's gonna spend uh, $15,000 on a high-definition TV. This, this isn't going anywhere. I was like, no, it, of course it's going somewhere because eventually you'll be able to pick up an HDTV for $300 at Walmart, and you can.
0: <laughs> so the first time I ever saw an HDTV was at CES in 92, I think it was, and it was analog. And so then the big question then was, how do you record this? Because it was just so much data, they needed like a four-inch tape to <laughs> to record this. And I thought, you know, there's no way this is going to work because you can't record TV shows on your VCR. Yeah. Well, they they fixed it by going both digital and using hard disks instead of tape.
2: Yep. 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 Yeah, that's pretty cool. I've seen an 8K TV. Um, a what about an, an 8k yeah yeah so have you can you actually see the difference in an 8k yeah no uh okay. but but that's exactly i think where this 3d type technology comes in is i think going into some something it's 3d using 8k technology you know that that high resolution um it will work better than trying to use the same lcd technology that's uh it's done now with, you know, 4K TVs. Uh, right. So it's, you know, it's, it's steps in, in different directions and trying to get, uh, you know, get there. We did watch, uh, what was I watching? Oh, we watched um, Last Holiday Time. I remember watching on, on a 4K TV, on my 4K TV, uh, one of the classics. I think it was uh, either Frosty the Snowman or Rudolph, or maybe it was even The Grinch. And the, they had remastered it from the original film that they had made and you could, I paused it at one point and you could see the pencil marks Mm. underneath the color ink for the frames. Wow. That of course, nobody could see all those years watching it growing up and all you couldn't see that. But now on on a very large 4k TV, With, digit, you know, uh, it it was in 4K, we were watching it, and it was, I was able to pause it and pause on a frame. I was like, look at all those pencil marks. There's pencil marks everywhere on this. You can see it. (laughs) It was really cool.
0: That reminds me, when I was in college, I met um, an acre man of a local TV news station, and he was wearing his on-air blazer that was absolutely filthy. (laughs) I mean, it was disgusting. And I said, what, "What? what's this? He goes, oh, you can't see it on TV.
1: <laughs> yeah, then they went to HD.
0: Yeah.
1: Yep. It's funny, the, the remastering thing reminds me that um, apparently there's a project going on right now where they're remastering 2001 A Space Odyssey from an I'm original film. I'm looking forward
0: to that. They're going to do a theatrical release too. Is That's,
1: That's right. I yeah, they're it. doing a theatrical release. Um, although even so, the original Cinerama Theaters I don't know that there are any more that can actually do the film in its original, extremely widescreen format. But nonetheless, the I'm looking forward to that. I've got you know the, a, a copy of the currently available um, 2001, and you know I think I've got it in Blu-ray actually. But uh, just to watch the remaster will be very very interesting. I'm looking forward to that. That was one of those seminal movie moments for me. That one made a big big impact on me early on.
2: Yep. Yeah. I've seen several movies recently in 70 millimeter. Um, you know, cause that's made a comeback, uh, as a specialty release kind of thing. Right. And, uh, the 70 millimeter, that's, it's quite impressive. It really does. I, I could feel it kind of tricking my eyes. into, if, you know, you're looking out a window into right. <laughs> whatever the scene is, cause it's so much light coming through and it's such high resolution, even though it's an analog format, right. um, it's, uh, still, uh, very high resolution compared to what we see in a normal movie. Yep. Yep. Cool. All right. What are we, what's, uh, what's going on this week guys?
1: I've got a boring week. I've just got more of the same, (laughs) although we are getting ready for uh, next weekend, of course, being Memorial day. Um, So we've got some out of town guests coming, but for the most part, that's just, you know, just me answering questions and
2: writing articles and just, and
0: something I forgot to ask before we started recording is, are we going to do an episode next week on Memorial day? Oh so,
2: yeah, yeah, you're right. It's going to be I, tough.
0: I'm okay with it, but I don't, I don't know if you guys to, can.
2: We'll have to talk uh, throughout the week and see what the what the thing is. Well, if you're listening to us next week, then we did. And if <laughs> if yep. you don't find an episode next, week. um, yeah. So, so yeah. there
0: might not be an episode next week. We'll just see. Yeah,
2: well, we might all be going out to see Solo, the new Star Solo. Movie. Actually, we're. I
1: think we might end up seeing um, Deadpool 2 first. Oh, that's on my list. That's on my list. Yeah. Maybe yeah. this week.
2: Yeah. So cool. Anything else going on with you, Gary, this week? No, just working on my apps until the, the Memorial Day weekend. Randy,
0: I am just finishing up the Pluto book that I mentioned a couple of weeks ago. I actually started slowing down toward the end to savor it because uh, it's like, oh, no, I know this where we are in history now, and uh, this is going to end soon. So I started slowing down. It is an amazing, amazing book. It's called chasing new horizons inside the epic first mission to Pluto. And I'll link to that on the show page. It's just an amazing book about science, about exploration, about the technology behind it. Uh, It's just astounding the political hoops they had to jump through and the, the, bitter disappointments they had to live through but they did it anyway and uh, it's just a, a triumph of basically one
1: guy really pushing really hard it's kind of funny because there's a facebook post that went around just the last couple of days that showed a uh, a picture of pluto taken 20 years ago and a picture of pluto taken you know most recently yeah and that's a dramatic difference it's like this over pixelated you know probably eight pixel by eight pixel dot versus this incredibly high-resolution um, image of, this, of the planet's surface. It's very cool.
2: Yeah, our yeah. view of, the, of our solar system and the whole cosmos has really expanded during our lifetimes quite, a, quite a bit.
0: Yeah, it's astounding. And every time they go someplace new or, or even someplace old with new equipment, new cameras, higher resolution, they discover things that they couldn't even imagine before, like ice volcanoes and just crazy.
1: Well, was I hearing that they uh just recently were re they were analyzing data that was sent back like ten years ago and they discovered that there was evidence for like water?
0: It was geysers coming out of Triton, if I remember yeah, correctly. Yeah. yeah. And, so this uh, is
1: data that they've had, you know, that, that came back to Earth a decade or more ago, and they're analyzing it now and coming to these kind of conclusions. Right.
0: Which really goes to show that you know, that data probably isn't really looked at completely when they first get it down. So you can definitely tease out a lot of really interesting information. That one did not have a photograph. It was other data that said, oh, hey, look, that that indicates a water geyser coming out of this moon that we didn't know was there before.
2: Yeah. Yep. You know what the amazing thing is, I think, I was... I Saw something that mentioned early science fiction artwork, you know, some of the covers for novels and some of the stuff in magazines. Um, and if you look at it in the pre-launch era, you know, the '50s and earlier, before we could send anything up into space, before we really had you know the ability to look at things from outside the atmosphere, you look at some of the landscapes that were drawn and some of the scenes from outer, you know, outer space. What they thought outer space would look like. And they're fantastic colors and incredible things, and they didn't know we could have then gone and launched Hubble and go, you know Voyager and all of that and found everything was really dull. But we didn't. <laughs> we found out that actually the stuff does look amazing out there. This, you know the distant uh, and galaxies that Hubble takes pictures of, the surfaces we've seen of uh, Jupiter and Saturn's moons and of uh, Pluto. It all looks incredible. Um, and I just think it's interesting because there was no rule saying that things had to look incredible. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It makes good screensavers. <laughs>
0: when we were cleaning out, uh, we just downsized my mother, and she had a print, a Chesley Bonestell print that my dad bought in the seventies of what it would be like to be sitting on a moon of Saturn and the the rings going by and all that. It's it's just phenomenal.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And the real thing is phenomenal, too. It's yeah, yeah. It's amazing. It really is. Cool. I want to go. <laughs>
1: All right. I think it's probably a good place now. to wrap up. Yeah. I think it is, too. Yep. Okay.
2: Where can we find the show notes, Randy? I'll
0: catch up in just a second. Um, I'm, okay. I'm clearly uh, not ready to go. The oh, show notes for this uh, week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh25. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at The TEH Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again here next Tuesday or maybe the Tuesday after that. Bye. Bye, everyone.